fun. And guys, we are in part one and kickoff of a brand new series called Dress Rehearsal. I need to make sure that you got enough caffeine in with you. Everybody repeat after me. Say dress. Yes. Rehearsal. Now, how many of you ever been to a dress rehearsal before? Had a play, had a wedding, had a thing. Like, I do weddings all the time, and I, re- I really do enjoy them. And, and I remember when I first started doing weddings, I felt the need to go to, like, these dress rehearsals until I went to so many that I'm like, no, nah, you don't need me there. And, and, but let me tell you why we do need dress rehearsals. It's because if you've ever gotten married, you know that there is that kind of bozo groomsman that's going to forget his jacket and not know where to stand and going to get out of line. And you've got to make sure the girls look all pretty and know where to walk. And they've got the music cues, and you've got the timing, and you've got all this stuff going on. Why? Because you've got a big event coming up that is so awesome and you want it to be special and you want it to be unique so you prepare for it, right? Like this is a big deal. Like the wedding event is a really, really big deal in our hearts and in our minds. And it should be. It's, it's the most uh, deep and dynamic, incredible human relationship that you will engage into. And so if you need to have a little wedding rehearsal. You need to make sure them dudes know where to stand. You know, because it's like hands in front, hands in back. Are we going to do like... You know, there's there's all these ways like when you, and now they've got it all special to where like when you leave, you know, there's a special routine. You know what I'm saying? Where the music kicks on for the, you know, the kind of walking out part and they all do a dance or a gig or a shimmy or something. And so. So anyway, these dress rehearsals are important for a play that works the same way. You need a dress rehearsal for the big show, the big opening. And so we have been given in the Bible dress rehearsals. So in the Old Testament, particularly back in the book of Leviticus, God gives us these things called feasts. Everybody say feast. There are seven different feasts given in the Old Testament, these dress rehearsals. Now, it sounds like a lot. There's really kind of only three. The reason why is because they take the first three, they bunch them together into one. They take the last three, they bunch them together into one. And so let me, let me explain how this works. The way that the Jewish calendar works is different than you and I. Okay, I don't know if you know this or not. We work off of, I, I believe it's called a Gregorian calendar. And we operate off of the what? The rotation of the earth around the sun. Yeah, you're like, gosh, should I say it? I don't even know. Like school was so long ago. And so, so the Gregorian calendar, which is like Pope Gregory VIII, he came up with this. They, they named it after him. And so we operate. So I mean, you know, we got 12 months in the year. And then every fourth year we have a what? You have that leap year because like the way it works is you end up with like a quarter day left over somehow. It's, it's kind of goofy. But like the Jewish people didn't operate off of a Gregorian calendar. They didn't operate off the earth moving around the sun. They worked off of a lunar calendar, which was the, basically the rotation of the moon around the earth. Now, they have something really, really weird. They don't have a leap year that has one special day. Don't we add a day to February or something like that? And if you're born on that day, you're totally hosed. I don't even know what you do. And so... They actually have a leap month. It's crazy. They have a leap month. So the way they... Have you ever noticed Easter falls on a different date every year? Well, why is that? Because the way that the the cycle works, they have to do a a lunar month... Or not a lunar month, but a leap month every few years. And so it changes all the time. And so when we celebrate Easter, really, we're just celebrating the spring feast. Because when we look at these feasts, let me tell you how they work. In In the early part of the year, what we call our spring, they would have the first three feasts. They were called Passover... Unleavened bread and first fruits. And they all happen back to back to back. 
Now, y'all don't have to remember all this. There is no test at the end of the day. So, so that was the first set of spring feasts. And the next one was called Pentecost. We think some crazy Christians that like to shout and butt stole that. But no, that's, that's Jewish. That's really, really old. They've been selling Pentecost for thousands of years. It's the celebration of when they got out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai. And when God gave them the Torah and God gave them the Ten Commandments, that was the, the, what they celebrated as Pentecost. So that's 40 days after Passover. Are y'all flowing with me so far? So those are the first feasts. Now, here's what is really, really cool. This is what makes this series really fun, is that we are walking right now into the fall feast season. And the last three feasts are referred to as the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And actually, when when we get up into the third week of this series, we will all of a sudden, all these feasts will kick in on the Jewish calendar, the solar cycle. Are you all flowing with me so far? And this stuff is rich. Here's why God gave us these feasts. It's because they're dress rehearsals. When you look at the Hebrew word for sacred assembly or holy convocation, it's the same word, dress rehearsal. What God wanted the Jewish people to do, and what I'm going to show you is this, is they're not called the Jewish feast. They're called the Lord's feast. They were just given to the Jewish people. These are the Lord's feast. Is he wanted his people three times a year to like... All right, let's work this out. Let's remind ourselves. Let's remember. Let's think. Let's get our heart right. Let's get our mind right. Let's be prepared for something incredible coming down the road, coming into our future. Something's coming and it's going to be awesome. I'll tell you why they thought something was coming is they believed and knew that Messiah, Christ, Messiah, would fulfill all of the feast. And so this is many times why if you talk to a Jewish person and why they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they'll say he didn't fulfill all the feast. What he did was, in his first coming, Jesus showed up and he was crucified on Passover. I've had the time to blow your mind. The parallel between what happened to Jesus and what happened on the day of Passover is mind-blowing. It's incredible. So Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried on unleavened bread and he rose from the grave on first fruits. It's unreal. I don't have time to talk about this. And then you have Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples 40 days after. And, and, and this is how Jesus fulfills the first feast. So there's this dynamic, though, where we are awaiting for Jesus to fulfill the last three feasts. And again, they're called Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so today we're going to talk about the Feast of Trumpets. Everybody say trumpets. So here's the deal with the trumpets. They didn't have like a, they didn't do that. They had this big, huge ram's horn called a shofar. Has anybody ever seen a picture of this? Maybe, you know, you've got these, you know, these long, twisty, tubey ram's horn. And dude, it is incredible. The sound that these can make and people that actually practice and know how to play this almost like an instrument. It's unreal. And so what they would do is, is they would blow this trumpet during the month of Elul. So basically for about 30 days leading up to the Feast of Trumpets, they would blow this horn in the morning and in the afternoon twice a day. And then on the Day of Trumpets, basically the day that we refer to as, as the Day of Trumpets. Now here's the deal. On the Jewish calendar, it's going to be September 24th at sundown through September 26th this year. And on that day, they will blow the final trumpet. So they've been blowing it for like a month long. And the whole reason they're blowing is to prepare everybody. Hey, the Feast of Trumpets. Hey, the Feast Season. The High Holy Days. The Day of Atonement. You need to be getting yourself ready for this big, huge Holy Day and Holiday and Festival Season. Are y'all flowing with me so far? For 30 days, they would blow this. But on the Day of Trumpets, they would blow it for the last time. And then all of a sudden, all these feasts would kick in. 
And notice it was, and notice it's a two-day period. It's, 20, it's, it's sundown on the 24th, so it's really what we would think of as, as the 25th and the 26th of September. It was what they referred to as one long day because the priest, this is what they would do. The priest would hang out at the temple and they would watch the moon and find out the exact time that the moon would set in its place. And when they saw, and they had to have like two or three people confirm this, when the moon was in the right place at the right time, they would go ahead and signal to the trumpet blowers or the shofar guys, and then they would blow that final horn. And that was what they referred to as the day or as the feast of trumpets. Now, I know what you're thinking, you're like, Todd, okay, that's a lot of, like, history and Bible study stuff. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to just go ahead and embrace the reality that these feasts are not necessarily just for Jewish people, that these are the feasts of the Lord, and they speak, really, they speak to us today. There's some incredible things that we can take from and pull from this big idea. Let me read Psalms 81 for you first as we begin. This was a psalm that David wrote in regards to or in light of the Feast of Trumpets. Listen to this. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the timbrel. Play. Is it the melodious? Melodious. Harp and lyre. Sound the what? The ram's horn. Sound the ram's horn at the what? The new moon. Are you seeing it? And when the moon is full on the day of our festival. This was them celebrating and announcing the Feast of Trumpets, and this was huge for them. This is where every person, if you could possibly, you would come and all travel and journey to Jerusalem to give sacrifice, to be a part of the festival. There's all these little ceremonies, I don't want to get into all of them, we'll get into some of them later weeks, that they would do and they would perform and would go on. But what I want to share with you is this, is what the meaning of that shofar meant to them and why they were... Because really the big theme of, of the Feast of Trumpets is this, is you need to be ready. Everybody say, everybody say, be ready. You need to be ready. That's the big overarching thing. You need to be ready. And so for those 30 days leading up to the Feast of Trumpets, you will see an incredible spike in charitable giving. Because the Jewish people know, I need to be ready for the Day of Atonement. I need to be ready for the feast season. And so I need to get my heart right. Have I been taking care of the poor and the needy? And so they'll just go out and begin to give and give and give. And they'll look at what they gave during the years. I haven't given enough. I need to give my heart ready because taking care of the poor was a huge, huge thing to them. Taking care of people who were needy was a huge thing to them. And they knew that when they took care of the poor that they were obeying God, that they were actually... And we, we, we read it like this, don't we? When Jesus said, when you've done it for the least of these, you have done it for... For me, and so this was huge. This was their way of saying, hey, well, when I take care of the poor and the needy, I am obeying God, but it is as if I am giving to God. It's an incredible exchange that takes place in your heart when you give to people who can't give you anything in return. So charitable giving goes up. Their prayer goes through the roof. They actually have prayer books and specific prayers that they go through. And again, it's to get their heart ready. Something incredible is coming. Here's another thing they do. They, they basically... Go through the, 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 the laundry list and go through, like, okay, is there anybody that I have wronged? Is there anybody that I hose? Is there anybody that I need to go and ask them for forgiveness? How many know we should probably do that on a regular basis? Isn't that a good idea? Just to kind of go through the list and be like, man, is there anybody that I maybe have offended? Is there anybody maybe that I've done wrong? Is there anybody that could be hurt because of what I've done? Because have you ever had that friend And for some reason, it just seemed to get a little weird and you didn't know why. And then months later, you found out that you had done something to offend them. 
and you had no idea? This is where we just kind of check the, the inventory. We do inventory. Is there, and, and the opposite is true. Not only is there anybody that I need to go ask for forgiveness, is there anybody that's wrong to me? Like, go through the, the laundry list and say, what, well, I, is there anybody that's wronged me, and have I been harboring bitterness? Because it is time to let them go. Because what is coming is so much more important than me being mad and bitter. It's, it's just, it's more, there are bigger things in life than me being bitter at this person. And so the, the big theme of this idea was be ready. Now, again, what did I tell you? The Jewish people believed that when Messiah came, that Messiah would fulfill all the feasts, right? This is another reason why they wanted to be ready. They're like, hey, we'd be ready. Messiah is going to show up. We need to be ready. My heart needs to be right. I need to have all the forgiveness, the junk. I need to get all my stuff taken care of. And so I need to be ready. Now, there was this unique thought. In certain sects of Judaism, when they would read the scriptures about Messiah, they noticed something odd and almost as if there was a discrepancy. There were certain scriptures that referred to the Messiah as a conquering king and leader and ruler. That sounds cool. And yet there were other scriptures that seemed almost contradictory that they described Messiah as a suffering servant. And so certain sects of Judaism actually believed that there would be two messiahs that would come at once. And that one of them would be a suffering servant and the other one would be a conquering king. And they together would somehow fulfill all of the Jewish feasts or all the Lord's feast. And, and they kind of were onto something. Because, I mean, no, there's a difference between a suffering servant and a conquering king. Those are two different people. And it's hard to pull off both of those at the same time. I don't know how you would do that. They were right in the sense that there would be two What they didn't realize is that it would not be two messiahs coming once, but it would be one messiah coming. And he fulfills the feast in his first coming. And in his second coming, he fulfills the latter feast. As we will see someday, maybe in our time, you hear people all the time say, well, we are living in the last days. Here's the, I hope we are. I hope we get to see it. I hope it's incredible. I hope it's awesome. But I don't know. Here's what I do know is that every generation since Jesus left thought they were the ones that would see the return of Christ. And so if, if, if we're playing Vegas odds, probably not going to, but we, I hope we do. Can I get a hope? Yeah, I mean, I want to. That looks cool. The sky splitting wide open and angels. Yeah, I'm down. So get your heart right, though, because I want you to be down, too. So. So here's the big idea. Be ready was the big idea. The second one was this is be reminded of God's faithfulness. Here was the other thing. You got to remember where the shofar came from. The shofar was a ram's horn. And what they did was is they went all the way back to the Old Testament. And there's a very special story about Abraham and Isaac. They refer to it as the binding. This is the crazy story where God tests Abraham and says, I want you to go sacrifice your son on this mountain, which later became the mountain where the temple was built, Mount Moriah. And so, this crazy, because if God told you to go kill your kid, you'd be like, you're crazy, you're tripping today. And you wouldn't, you, that would just sound weird and crazy. To Abraham, it wasn't. It wasn't crazy because child sacrifice was normal. When you looked at all the other gods and the deities and the, all the Canaanites' gods, that's what you did. They believed that, they believed that your firstborn was given by God, and so if you ever needed to appease the gods, you gave your kid back to them. And so child sacrifice was incredibly common. So it wasn't that shocking. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. And, and of course, God does not let him go through with it. That at the moment that he's going to kill his son, he's like, stop, stop. I'm just, I'm just testing you. I just want to see if, 
I just want to see if you love me like they love their God. I want to see if you are faithful to me like they're faithful to their God. And I, I see your heart is. Don't kill your kid. That's crazy. But I want you to look over there because in the bush, I got something set to the side for you. And Abraham looks to the side and in the bush he finds a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham sacrifices the ram. And so it's a reminder. They go back to this story and this picture. And it's a reminder. And you'll see this is one of the big deals of the entire feast season, of the fall feast, is this, is you can't do it yourself anyway. You need to let God do it for you. Like, you're not good enough, but God is good enough. You can't pay the price, but God can pay the price. You, can't, you don't have the ability to forgive all sins, but God can forgive all sins. The big theme is this. You cannot do it on your own. You need to sit back and let God be God in your life. For your salvation and for everything else, you need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Many of you are working hard, but you're like a, you're like a little rat on a wheel. You're a hamster on a wheel. You are running and running and running and running and running, and you have no rest. It's because you think it's all going to depend on you. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, God, God is faithful. And there are certain things you cannot do for yourself that you will have to allow God to do for you. Somebody say amen. So not only be reminded of God's faithfulness, here's another one, be repentant. Yeah, like how many know if you're going to prepare your heart, for, for Messiah, if you're going to repair your heart for, for what we'll see in a second is the return of Jesus, you, you need to repent. Now, here's the, there's a big gap, though, between them and their definition of repent and us. And we have a, a, a skewed definition of repentance because, my, mainly because of the culture we lived in. The church culture of the last, especially 20, 30 years that you, have, you and I mostly have grown up in and seen, they took repentance and made it harsh, didn't they? Have you guys ever heard a hellfire and brimstone preacher? Have you ever been in a service where you thought, I'm for sure going to split hell wide open. This guy, God is mad at me. I am terrible. I am going to hell. You ever heard that? And so what was the answer? You need to repent, you dirty, filthy, no good sinner. I mean, no, that made you feel good about yourself. For them, repentance, this is what it really meant. You look up the words, everything, the, the, the images, the way they thought about it. It was simply this. Wherever there is an area of my life where I am moving away from God, I need to stop and turn around and go back to God. And this, this season was a season of repentance. The, during the entire 30 days of, of a lull leading up to this thing, it was always all, all about repentance. And so he, here's the other thing. After the Day of Trumpets, there was 10 days in between the Day of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And those ten days are called the ten days of awe because if you hadn't gotten your heart ready during a lull, you better get it ready in these ten days. And here's what we want you to do. Examine your heart and say, where in my heart have I strayed from God and how can I turn back? They used to teach it in these four ways. These are the four kind of steps to repentance. Number one was this, is you need to forsake the sin. Like recognize the sin and forsake it. Say, you know what, this is where I've been going away from God and moving away from God. Number two was this, is I need to regret the breach. Like there does need to be something in my heart that says, I don't want to do that because I'm hurting people around me. I'm dishonoring God. I'm headed down a path of death and destruction. I need to turn around. Number three was this. Confess the truth and make amends. Wherever you have wronged someone, confess to them, then confess to God and make amends for whatever it is that you have done. And then lastly, accept your forgiveness. Embrace the idea that you've made amends with them. You've made amends with God. Embrace the grace of God given to you. Because some of you, 
And I hate to see this, but it's because it's really, really sad. Some of you, you went to God and God forgave you, but you didn't forgive yourself. Like you're good with God, but you keep beating yourself up. And you assume that God's still beating you up. And so when you make these steps of repentance, you're just saying in your heart, God, I'm going to turn away from any place that I'm walking away from you. And any place that I'm walking towards death and darkness and destruction, I'm going to turn and come back to you. I'm going to return to you. And so we look at this feast season as a time where we say we need to be repentant. And here, here let me leave you this thought. Repentance is not a one-time decision. It's a lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, think about it. How many times per week or per month or, God forbid, per day do we start heading down a road that's walking away from God and walking away from His path and walking away from light and towards darkness? And as soon as we, as soon as we recognize that we're walking away from God, what should we do? Stop. Recognize where we're going. Regret. Make amends and get back and embrace the grace of God. This isn't like a... A one-time thing. This isn't like, well, I said a sinner's prayer a long time ago, and I asked God to forgive me. I hope that was good. I hope that covered them all. And, and No, no, no. This is not about whether or not you're getting into heaven here. This is about you living in a life where you're always in God's wills and, and, and God's will and God's ways. Does that make sense? That's where God wants you to be. It's, it's not about like, well, I did it once, so I'm getting to heaven. No, 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 no. That's, that's dumb. What we want to do is always be living with God. Always be walking as if we are walking. Because what did Jesus say to pray? Pray that it's on earth as it is in heaven. So we're not praying to get to heaven. We're praying so that we live a life that brings heaven here. The only way to do that is to live a lifestyle of repentance. So be repentant. Number something. Be, be grateful. Isn't that, isn't that the awesome part of being forgiven? Be grateful. As a matter of fact, one of the things they had a, a saying that they would greet each other with. And it was literally this. It was, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. That's how they would greet each other on the day of trumpets and during this feast season. May you be like, hey, how you doing, man? What's up, pound it? Like, but they would be like, hey, yo, may your name be inscribed in the book of life. Meaning like, I hope that you have repented. I hope that you are headed in a way that, that's leading yourself back to God and everyone around you with it. I hope you're leading a life that's bringing you back towards God at all times. May you, and this is, this is the idea. All throughout the scripture we see this notion, this concept of the book of life. In the book of Revelation, it's called the Lamb's book of life. I'll read you the scripture. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, it says nothing impure will enter into it. It is heaven. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there's, a, there's a book, and it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's, there's a book. And I, some theologians take that, that our names are already in there. Because it refers to our names being blotted out or our names being erased. And they said maybe it's the idea that our names are already in there. And our names only get taken out as we reject God and his salvation for us and we move away from him. I don't know about you, but like I, I want to be grateful today. And if, you, if you've already put your faith in Jesus, you should have a smile on your face. If you put faith in Jesus, you, you, you should be grinning from ear to ear and be thankful and grateful that you are connected to God through Jesus Christ and that you have a home in heaven waiting for you and until then you're trying to get heaven to earth here. Like that, that's the way we ought to live. We ought to live with a certain amount of joy and gratefulness that, that, that is excited about what God has done in our life and if not, I would dare to say that we need to re-experience the goodness and the grace of God. Somebody say amen. Lastly is this, and I'll close here, is, is not only do you need to be ready. Be reminded of God's faithfulness. Be repentant. Be grateful. But here's the deal. You need to be looking. 
you need to be on the lookout. Come September 25th, 26th, you might want to be on the lookout. Leading up to September 25th and 26th, I want you to be ready. I want you to be repentant. I want you making amends with everybody, giving generously, getting your heart right. I want you doing all those things. But come that day, there's a certain amount of like, I want you to be ready. Because as we, we talked about earlier during the month of Elul, they would sound the horn every single day. This was the 30 days leading up to the day of trumpets. On the day of trumpets, when the new moon hit, they would blow the last trumpet. And you wouldn't hear the trumpet sound again. Okay, now, in light of that, let me read these scriptures. Matthew chapter 24. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send, or, and he will send out his angels with a what? A loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a what? A trumpet. I I could keep going. One more. 1 Corinthians 15. I love how Paul says this. Like, listen. I'm going to tell you something sneaky. This is a mystery you don't know about. We will not all sleep. But we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the what? No, no, no. Which trumpet? When does the last trumpet blow? The day of trumpet. I know some of you out there, some of you are thinking like, well, wait a minute, Todd. The Bible says that no man knows the day or the hour. It's in Matthew chapter 24. Now, let me help you. Now, do you remember that I told you that the day of trumpets was on basically the 25th and the 26th? That it was a two-day period, and they referred to it as one long day. You know the other way they referred to it? They referred to it as the day that no man knows the hour. The reason why they called it that was because nobody knew when the moon would hit its peak during the cycle. That's why the priest, along with two or three other people, would sit there and they would wait for it to be confirmed. And then when they saw the new moon hit its peak and hit the right place, they would, they would sound to the trumpeters and they would blow the shofar and that would be the last trumpet call. So when Jesus said that no man knows the day or the hour... What he was referring to, we believe he was referring to, was this exact feast, the day of trumpets. It's the day that no man knows the day or the hour. Can you, can you imagine if we were to leap forward 2,000 years from now, and we were in a different day, a different time, a different culture, and a different language, and we read an ancient manuscript from 2014, and, and in it I said, hey, I'm coming to your house on Thanksgiving. Now, how many of you all would know when I'm coming? What is Thanksgiving? Isn't like the, is it the third Thursday in November every year? Okay. But let's say you're a different culture and a different language and you don't understand the times and the customs and all of a sudden you read this ancient manuscript and you say, oh my gosh, everybody, Pastor Todd is coming on a day of thanks. What does that mean? There must be a time of incredible gratitude and on the day that we become grateful, Pastor Todd will come. And we'd all be trying to figure out how the heck do you interpret the day of thanks and thanksgiving. We should always be thankful, right? I mean, this should be, Pastor Todd should always be here. So when Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, many theologians, especially Jewish historians, will look at that and say, that was something that we used to celebrate every single year at the Feast of Trumpets. You want to hear the sound of the shofar? Has anybody ever heard what it actually sounds like before? 
It's an incredible sound. I'm going to play you a sound bite. Because when they blew it on the day of trumpets, it wasn't just this like, they actually had a specific call, a specific beat count and rhythm. It was a certain number of lows and highs. And it sounds like this. Check it out. So, if you're out mowing the lawn on September 25th or 26th, and the sky gets funky, and you hear that noise, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I would say that if you would be ready, if you would have your heart in the right place, That you would be repentant, that you would be reminded of God's faithfulness, that in that moment you would be grateful, that in those moments you would be looking even. Because we believe that there was not two messiahs that would come once, we believe that there was one messiah that will come twice. And in his first coming he was, like I said, crucified on Passover, he was buried on unleavened bread, he rose from the dead on first fruits. The Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost, but we have yet to see the fulfillment of the fall feast. But the New Testament teaches us that Jesus returns at the sound of the last trumpet. Now, I have no idea what year, and we may see it in our lifetime, and we probably won't if we were betting in Vegas. But listen, listen, listen. Regardless, these are our dress rehearsals. This is what we do to prepare for the big show. They're reminders. I don't know about you. I've been married for 14 years, and yet in my home there are still pictures of my wife. I got three kids and they run around the house. I still have pictures of my kids because I always want to be reminded of her and I want to be reminded of them. And I just keep these reminders. That's what these feasts become. They become reminders. They're resets on the calendar to remind us, you know what? Messiah is coming, so therefore be ready. Messiah is coming, so like, you know, be reminded that God is faithful. And in light of that, be grateful. Be be on the lookout. Be ready in your heart at all times. Live a life that is constantly moving back towards God. And when we do that, we are partaking of this dress rehearsal where we prepare ourselves for the return of Jesus. Bow your heads and pray with me if you would. So, Father, we pray this morning that, God, our hearts would be ready. That, God, if there's something in us that's not right, we actually are in the, in the, the, the month of Elul, in the Jewish calendar. We are in that time period where we would be making amends. We would be forgiving and seeking forgiveness from others. We would be praying. We'd be giving. We'd be worshiping. We'd be repenting. We'd be do, we would be preparing our hearts. So, God, let us prepare our hearts. Let us come around to this time of year every year and be reminded of your faithfulness. And in light of that, prepare our hearts. That, God, you are good. And that one day you will return again. We have no idea when or how and we don't know what that looks like no matter what 
what guy wrote what book, God. We just believe that someday it will happen and you will do it in your own way and in your own time. But God, until then, let our hearts be ready. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen and amen. Do me a favor, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.